Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 29, which begins with Goose yelling at someone in a field, and it ends with Max and Goose approaching the wrecked Chevy. So, (laughs) it feels like more and more often we have minutes that run into each other, that just kind of flow without cutting cleanly. This is definitely one of those situations where we get... Max, right at the beginning of this minute, responding to a trailed off statement that Goose made yesterday. Yes. So we just start off this minute with Max saying, yep, (laughs) because they're looking out the window at this person without pants on running into a field. And as we see this figure over Goose's shoulder, we get a reverse shot on Max and Goose, and they're just following this person with their eyes. And both of them are just turning in perfect sequence with each other. Yes, with confusion. Yeah. On their faces. Because it's not something they see every day, I'm sure. No, and it's the first hint, and I don't think they're getting the hint, it's the first hint of what they're going to come upon when they finally reach the scene. Right. They seem to be, well, Goose in particular, seems to be taking it still quite lightly. Oh, absolutely. Not understanding the reason why he's running away is because he has been recently quite victimized. Yeah. Assaulted in some way. Yes, and... And so we get to see this person, Lair. <laughs> Goose. I just... I'm such an idiot sometimes. So they, we get to see a reverse shot of Lair running through a field without pants on. Yep. And then Goose starts shouting at him to, like, stop. Yeah. Like, stop running away. Right. Which, of course, it's it's what cops do. They, they don't want people running away from them because it makes their job harder. But as they come to a stop, Goose is still shouting and then he gets on the radio (laughs) and starts, you know, calling him names. Yes. (laughs) It felt very middle school. Yeah. Um, Before we get into talking about the names that Goose calls Lair, there are a couple of questions that are raised as Lair is running through the field. Um, The first and most obvious question of why he's alone is answered later this minute. But the second question that comes up is... Where are his pants, and where does he think he's going? And I'm not sure if I necessarily want to know exactly what the answer is to those questions, but it's really understandable why Max and Goose were so confused. Because I'm kind of confused at this situation of Lair running away, seemingly just out into the bush. Well, I think that to understand Lair right now, you need to understand what he's recently been through. Right, and which we don't know. We're never told explicitly we what they go through. We are never told explicitly what they go through. I am fairly confident, and it's the story in my head that I go with, that they were both raped. Mm-hmm. Um, that answers the question of where his pants are. They are torn to shreds somewhere near the Chevy. And that also answers the question of why he's running away. He is recently been brutally victimized and he is just running away it doesn't matter to where doesn't matter from whom he is just running away Mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense yeah 
And it's and he's lucky that he is able to because she is not. Yeah, I think it's it's easy to look at the situation from Max and Goose's perspective. Right, they have and no be idea. Confused by it. Yeah, they have no idea. This is the first hint of what they are coming up upon. Right, and they don't understand it. They don't take the hint that this is going to be quite a brutal scene. Yeah. So Goose, with all of the sensitivity that he's able to muster i'm sure all the sensitivity of a goose yeah he he stops yelling on the radio long enough to look over at max and call this guy a turkey he jumps up on the radio again and says hey fella you're a turkey and so this stood out in my mind (laughs) (laughs) this goose as a man named after a bird calling another man a bird as some sort of insult and i'm like pot meet kettle yeah right (laughs) meet pot um, but also it raised a question in my mind about the use of the phrase turkey in Australia. And so I went to the number one place I always go to when I'm looking for slang is Urban Dictionary, which was not hugely helpful in this situation because Urban Dictionary is so America centric. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a better word than America centric. I'm pretty sure I just made that up anyway. Not the point. So after a couple of entries about the country of Turkey... There is an entry specifically for the phrase turkey, um, which talks a lot about how it was used largely in the 60s and 70s to denote a loser, an uncoordinated, inept, clumsy fool, or in other instances, someone who is just not with the current culture and slang or is just generally uncool. Um, That does seem to apply because in Lair's running away, he did fall down a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, this is all well and good, having that information, but at the same time, the entry also notes that it was slang used primarily by urban-dwelling black males. So uh, the very opposite of Goose. Yeah. I hate to ruin the illusion for anyone that's never seen Steve Bisley in real life, or in films, or in interviews, but he's not an urban-dwelling black man. He's he's a very white Australian dude. Yeah. Um, and so I went to a bunch of different sites trying to find, you know, an example of Turkey being a specifically Australian slang term. And it's like these databases I'm looking at are just very unhelpful. But then that transitioned me off. I'm just a cavalcade of just ideas falling over, dominoing one over each other. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, Turkey, obviously living in New England, we have a long history of turkeys. Yes. And... They roam free around here. Yeah, and I've got messages from listeners. One specifically said that they eat turkey for Christmas, know, usually. Christmas and things like that. Not for Thanksgiving, though. Yeah, they don't have Thanksgiving don't in have Thanksgiving. Australia. He was very kind in reminding <laughs> me of that. Um, Talk about America-centric. But there are turkeys that are native to Australia, and so I looked it up, and... Um, the Australian brush turkey, Latin name Electura lathami, also frequently called the scrub turkey or bush turkey, is a common widespread species of mound-building bird found in eastern Australia from far north Queensland to Illawarra in New South Wales. The Australian brush turkey has also been introduced to Kangaroo Island in South Australia. It is the largest extant representative of the family... Megapodiidae and is one of the three species to inhabit Australia. Despite its name and their superfluous similarities, the tur- uh, the bird is not closely related to the American turkey or to the Australian bustard, which is also known as the bush turkey. 
Okay. So that's something you may not have already known. It is absolutely something I did not yeah. know. <laughs> there are, I mean, it's pretty interesting that turkeys and they're, are in Australia, though. And they're native? Yeah. It's not a rabbit situation? Nope. Okay. Just big, fat, ground-dwelling birds. They make mounds? They make mounds. Do our turkeys make mounds? You know? No, because growing up, we had a flock like that lived in our backyard, and they never... They ate all our grass, but they didn't um, build mounds. Yeah. As okay. communities have built up in Australia and started to expand, mm-hmm. like Australians are having the same, same issues we are. <laughs> With the turkeys being everywhere. Digging up their lawn and eating their gardens and things like that. And hanging out in the middle of the road when you're trying to get to work. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's more <laughs> There's dis- a reason we eat turkeys here. Yeah. So. Okay. So he calls him a turkey. Yep. And Lair just runs out into the outback. And he just, yeah, he he never slows down or stops unless mm-hmm. he's falling down. So, uh, so Max says they're going to go back and get him later on, but we never actually see them return for Lair. He's never seen or heard from again. Yeah. Okay, I'm just checking to see if I had anything else. Okay, so the so Max and Goose continue down the road. While they're still in the car, we get a bit of the Chevy in the scene. But you know what? Before we do, let's talk about the crow. Okay. I found the crow very interesting. I know that cinematically, crows are used to show when something bad is about to happen. Mm-hmm. I think often enough that it's more a trope. So, which we saw used a couple of minutes ago at the end of the Chevy scene, the last time we shot, saw the Chevy. Well, it's back. The next, the very next time we see the Chevy, the crow is back as well. Yeah, we can hear it ca- uh, yeah, cawing. Yeah, we, we hear it cawing. We don't actually see it. So so we hear the crow cawing, and we hear a person at the same time, right before it actually, saying Night Rider. The way that person, who turns out to be Johnny, uh, we don't see him quite yet. We just hear him first. The way he says Knight Rider, he sounds like he's emulating the crow. Mm-hmm. So it actually really does sound like the crow is saying Knight Rider. Yeah. There's right? two parts to that line, actually. Yeah. Because there's he says Knight Rider, the, the crow, crow cause, and then he says other things that I didn't catch. Yeah. He uses a phrase... Um, Nye Cure, which spelled out in the subtitles is a French word. Um, I translated it on Google, but I can't tell you the translation without getting an explicit tag. And I can't pronounce it properly in French without having an explicit tag for the French listeners. Um, because it's just a swear swear word. Okay, so he's cursing Knight Rider. Yeah. Okay, or, that's enough. Or making a play on the structure of the name Knight Rider. But as we're hearing these sound effects... And as we're hearing these dialogue, we're seeing the Interceptor drive up on the crash scene. And there's a symbol burned into the middle of the road. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Um, it seems that um, doing the donuts and the burnouts... Leaves a symbol, and that's there. That's the gang symbol. Yeah, so you've, oh. got, a, you've got a nice circle, and then you've got a line And then the line, just like what would have been left in in, uh, in town. So it's it's obviously... I didn't see that. So it's obvious to me that it's like their tag. It's a tag, yeah. Well, that answers the question from way back in minute one or two about the skull on the pavement. Yeah. If it's a tag, if it's a gang tag, it's not their gang tag. Yeah, certainly not. Because this is their gang tag. That's fascinating. I did not notice that. Yeah. So as we are driving up on the wreck, we're hearing the crow and we're hearing Johnny. We're seeing the tag and we're seeing just bits of, you know, wrecked Everywhere. Chevy just lying on the road. And we kind of pan 
from seeing the road. And then we pan over and we can see that it actually is just Johnny sitting on, I'm going to say the front seat of the Chevy that they've completely torn out. Yeah. And left on the side of the road. Yes. Um, and we don't only see Johnny, but we also see the young woman in and the she's, background. She's kind of hard to spot. It's pretty quick. Um, but I think it's important to see her as soon as possible because the very first time we see her, she is crouched like in fetal position on the near side of the car. And almost as soon as she comes into frame, she starts crawling up into the car. Right. Um, so she is actively trying to get away. Like she's just been assaulted by several male individuals. And so the arrival of two more male individuals has got to be incredibly distressing to her. Yes. But as we see Johnny, he just seems addled is is the word I use to describe it. Yes. Impaired in some way. And I think this is a good point to bring up. We got a message on our Facebook page from a listener who listened to episode 14. And he was able to pick out some more information from the TV that Jesse and Max were listening to yes. about the Night Rider. news report, yes. So I took a chunk out of his message. Um, he wrote us, When Jesse and Max are talking, the newsreader names the Night Rider as Crawford Montezano and states that an unconfirmed autopsy report revealed high levels of what sounds like prohibited substance in his blood. It's hard to hear, but it's there. So first off, thank you, Matt, for getting a hold of us. That was very helpful. Yes, um, it was, because that, that's really important information to have. That we completely missed. Yes, especially here, because... Because here, Johnny is on something. Oh, he is so on something. Like, he is, like, not specifically drunk on something. Because there's no bottles. There's no evidence that we can see that he's just of... regularly inebriated. He's yes. got some sort of probably illicit substance. Yep. Like they n- noted on the radio or TV. I keep calling it radio, but it's television. Um, that these gang members are probably very involved with moving around. So he's gotten high on his own supply and he was just left behind. And he was left behind. Which it's, is... In this culture, if you can't ride your bike... Then you're not coming with us. It's a very Top Gear way of looking at things. Absolutely. If you've ever... Somebody breaks down, you get left behind. Yeah. If you've ever watched an old episode of Top Gear when they were on the BBC... Yeah. I think my favorite instance of someone being left behind on Top Gear was when they were in Africa and the sun was down and there were like lines and stuff. And yes. I think... I think it was James May. He like broke his tire or maybe it may, might have been Richard Hammond who blew out a strut or something like that. But they just left them in the middle of the savanna yep. and went off to be safe and left their buddy in the middle of Africa. Yep. But in this instance, it's Johnny who's left behind. And we kind of pan down, see all of that. And then we get another shot of the interceptor coming to a stop. And we can see Goose in the passenger side window and he's just staring at all of it. Yes, it is quite a scene to come upon. It's interesting because this is a case that we are not seeing this through their eyes. We're not seeing it through Goose and Max's eyes because we already know what they're coming upon. Yeah. We saw it happen. So we're seeing their reaction from the outside. Right. It's important for us to see how it affects them. Because as an audience, like you said, we've already been affected by it. Yes. We got to see it happen, not in its entirety, thank goodness. But it's important for us to see how sobering this is to, especially for Goose, because mm-hmm. he's been he's been incredibly lax and jovial about pretty much everything up to this point. Yes. And 
the music tells what the actors cannot. It's it sort of gives this thing of them having a sudden realization about how serious this situation is. So they come to a stop and Max gets out of the car. They um they take their time about the whole thing. Oh, about yeah. getting out of the car. I was because going it, frame by frame because I was looking for frames that were looking back at the Chevy with the girl and Johnny. And so I, I noticed how long it takes them to get out of the car. Yeah, because they've come to a sudden realization that, okay, there's been some serious violence here. Maybe the violence isn't over. Yeah. There's only one Max guy on a motorcycle gun. here, but there could be more lying in wait somewhere. Yes. So we get another shot, another quick shot towards the Chevy. You can see the girl has crawled into the what is now the back seat of the car. And Johnny kind of does this kind of half-hearted wave to the police officers. Yes. As if he doesn't exactly understand who has just shown up. But it's in this shot specifically that we can see that there is a rope that goes from like the ankle or something of the young woman to where Johnny is sitting. And mm-hmm. he's just got her on a leash. Yes. Which kind of tells me that Lair was let go. If she is tied up, then I think Lair was probably released. Not so much escaped, but the guys that were brutalizing Lair probably just got bored with him and let him go. Yeah. And I think I think Johnny is the primary um, assaulter when it comes to the the rape and brutalization of the young woman here. Because when they pulled her out of the car, he was the one that got a good hold on her and wouldn't let her go. Yes, and now he's the one that has her on a leash. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think they we are led to believe that it was mostly him. Yeah. So it's just, it's rough to see, especially tomorrow, because Goose is going to try and console her and, and get closer to her, and she's just trying to get away the entire time. Mm-hmm. But aside from the damaged state that she finds herself in, the Chevy is Ooh, unbelievably wow. the Chevy, torn apart. Like, no wonder they didn't show us that part. Because I'll bet you they went in and did that with machinery. Yeah, because they probably had some sort of additional sledgehammer, maybe like a saw or something to just... To get the roof almost completely off. Yeah, the front the, the front, front supports, side supports for the roof are gone. The thing is peeled up almost all the way. The front seat completely torn out. There's a That's a, that's a muffler pipe, whatever, exhaust pipe that's just sitting in Johnny's lap. Yeah. And, and there's bits and pieces of the car strewn all over the place. Yeah, that's a front fender ripped off completely. It's like there's just, I, I just don't understand how seven guys could do that much damage. It's outrageous. I think, I think that it is a culture of violence. Mm. That this is what they do. And I'm hoping that this particular example is an extreme example but i feel like the tearing apart of the car and the rape of the couple go hand in hand yeah like it's not it's not two parts to one incident it's one incident yeah it's all about physical violence and sexual violence to them one in the same one in the same it's all about doing harm yes and they don't care whether it's to an object or a person right Probably because from their perspective, they're all just objects. They're able to have that sociopathic mindset of... That other people aren't real people. Exactly. And to be detached from that, the humanity part. Yeah. And it's not consolation for the characters, but it's... uh, 
they're lucky that Lair and the girl in the Chevy weren't torn apart like the Chevy was. Yes. That they were able to escape am, whole. Yes. I am actually things cut off. Kind of surprised at that, seeing the state of the Chevy and the assumptions that we've made about how they were treated. I'm surprised that they are alive. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we see we see down the road that they have no problem killing. That right. killing is certainly not an issue. They do it quite lightly. So, I, yeah, I mean, thinking about the people that die, the people that this gang kills later on in the movie, how are these two still alive? Yeah, they're lucky to be alive. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's the scene that we're looking at. The, the set that has been laid out is just... It's, it's like... It's a murder scene without the murder. Exactly. It's more affecting than the highway pileup scene that we saw earlier. Yes. When Fifi goes over to talk to Max. Because there are people being loaded into ambulances. There are cars piled up. There's a guy that's like bleeding out of his face Mm -hmm. sitting in a car. Like that scene is pretty horrific, but it's something that you can see on the evening news. This type of thing is something that they don't show you every day. So it's especially affecting. Yes. Just, hoof type of thing. Yep. Something that I had noted, I think, the last time we watched it through and I didn't write it down, and now it's like slipping from my memory, so I need a minute to remember what it was. Okay, I got it. Um, Goose and Max arriving at the scene. They are very, 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 very lucky that the gang was gone. Right. Because the gang was in a particularly powerful position, being all riled up. Um, and their adrenaline pumping and they were in a particularly powerful position. Max and Goose were in a particularly vulnerable position because they had no idea what they were coming up on. They are very lucky to be alive. If they had come upon the scene and the bikers were still there, even if the bikers didn't know specifically that this was Max, that this is the person that in their own eyes killed the Knight Rider... Even if they didn't know that this was the person that they wanted, the very fact that it was an interceptor of the MFP would have been enough that there would have been two cars like that on the side of the road. And I can guarantee you that Goose and Max both would be dead. Oh, absolutely. Absolute guarantee. So I don't know how long the gang has been gone. I don't think they've been gone for very long. I think that Lair ran away as soon as he was able to. And so... I think that they were very freshly gone. Yeah. What's interesting... I think it's a matter of minutes that saved the lives of Max and Goose. What's interesting about how far Lair has gotten from the accident, because... He was, like, up the road a little yeah, bit. he got far enough up the road that we can have that long shot of the Interceptor driving down the road, panning over to... That's true. ...the car. Yeah. So, so maybe more time has passed than I thought. Yeah. But it's, it, that still doesn't... It's, doesn't Still change the much. fact that, you know, Lair was let go and then the gang probably left after they let him go. Yeah. So you think maybe within less than 10 minutes between the time the gang left and when Max and Goose 10 minutes drove feels up? about right. Yeah. It feels about right to me too. Yeah. That um, is not a big margin. No. No, it's not. Between life and death. Yeah. The movie would have been over. Yeah. Well, the two whole, main, the yeah, whole the whole series, series would have been, been over. It would have been like Mad Roop. Right. <laughs> And that would have been awful. <laughs> that would have been, I don't know. I feel like that would have been like a slapstick comedy. Yeah. Or like the. Instead of a, a drama. 
Or it could have been Fifi getting all upset that they killed his hero and so be mad Fifi. Mad Fifi? That just doesn't have the same ring to it. No, it doesn't. But going back to the scene away from my tangent, um, we go from the tableau of the wrecked vehicle and Johnny sitting on the thing to Max and Goose approaching and they've got guns drawn because like we said earlier, we don't know how many yeah. gang members are still there. They have one gun drawn i don't know what's still in the car um well goose has a service revolver okay kind of a snub snub nose revolver but max has the shotgun yeah and they come up and the first person they check on is johnny because he's obviously the more dangerous of the two people at the scene and we don't actually see much after they no they just walk up to him goose bends down like there's nothing wrong with his knee yeah Going on a lighter subject. Yes. Like, I <laughs> I don't want to necessarily have there be a fictional in-universe slip of paper, but I want to see the medical release. I want to see what was wrong with his knee, because I'm pretty sure I, there's nothing wrong with his knee. No. Like, come on. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Steve Bisley, like, forgot to act like he had a bad knee. Yeah. Which I, I, I want to think of him as a better actor than that. Because in every other sense, he's been a really good actor. Yeah, I gotta say, I would much rather have him focusing on being disgusted and horrified at what he's seeing than being focused on limping properly. But at the same time, like, I don't know. You're an actor, you can do both. Yeah, show a little range, (laughs) I guess. One thing that we hear as they're walking from the Interceptor to the wreck is more stuff from the dispatcher. That's right, because she decided to talk again. From the dispatcher... We hear pursuit units in sectors 8, 9, and 10, a cyclecade of nomad bikers, a fast run out of Wee Jerusalem. Your instructions are to locate, do not engage, sector 8 nomad bikers. Okay, so maybe not necessarily these two, but people are being sent to to track down the bikers. Right. So we must have not heard when Max and Goose called in what they found. Yeah. When they are rolling up on the scene, it's possible they could be reporting in. Or this could just be dispatcher telling the other units in the area that these bikers are still at large. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the dispatch only has the information that they were given from whoever called it in, which could have been anyone, really. I like the assumption that it was the station master. Yeah. I'd yeah. like to think that he did a little bit more than just stand by and watch. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of really rough implications to this scene of just how terrible the acolytes really are. Yes. Like brutal and violent. Yes. And <laughs> we're going to continue talking about that tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Sure. We're definitely not done. Yeah. So just a quick little something. So they both kind of rush to the side of Johnny. And that kind of bothered me a little bit. It didn't sit well with me. I don't think they rushed to his side in order to, like, check on it. I think they rushed to where he was because they were able to realize that of the two people there, that he has the potential to cause trouble. So he needs to be secure. Yes. And I don't usually watch minutes ahead, more out of laziness than anything else. But this time I did because I wanted to clarify the actions that they were taking and the priorities that they were setting. Because it did bother me a little bit that they went straight to him. So what Goose is actually doing is he goes straight for the end of the rope. 
Right. And we don't really see that until the next minute. Uh, like here we see him going for it in the next minute. We see him actually, actually take possession of it. take possession of it. Yes. Okay. So he actually did see the girl and the, the position that she was in and that she was tied up. And he immediately took steps to take care of her. Right. And it wasn't by going to her. It was by taking care of the of the leash first. Right. And I really appreciate that. I, I didn't like the idea that she was ignored. Um, and so she wasn't. And that makes me happy. Yeah. So after all of this, if you want to feel right. happy, <laughs> a happy place you can go to is our website, which is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Mad Max Minute and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Mad Max Minute, where you can message us and leave us comments, and we just might me- mention you in a later minute. <laughs> Thank you for joining us from Mad Max Minute number 29, and we'll see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and men, take me to the end of the dream.